Welcome to the Flourish Podcast. Thank you for joining us for this episode as we learn, grow, and flourish together as a community of women. Hi, this is Penny. Thanks for being a part of the Flourish Podcast today. In celebration, a little bit ahead of time, of Veterans Day, I wanted to talk about some historical facts about America as a reminder of our heritage. You know, obviously, things have been challenging in our nation as of late. The climate and atmosphere and moral fiber has deteriorated extremely. But I believe it's really critical that as believers, we understand the lengths that God went to in order to create this nation for a specific purpose. Have we had failures as a nation even back in the day, even obviously in regard to slavery and so many issues that were not right and just evil? Yes, we have. But that does not take away from the fact that God was moving in our midst and in the midst of the people that were responsible for setting a foundation for the nation that we call the United States of America. In front of our National Archives building in D.C., where we keep all of our important records from our past, there's a statue that reads, The heritage of the past is the seed that brings forth the harvest of the future. To me, it's just so clear that there's a sense of destiny, a purpose on our nation that calls us to be a beacon of light and hope for the world. However, it seems that very few people are guarding the legacy of our nation. People are just being swept along by our culture. And in the last 50, 60 years, there's been a transformation in our thinking and and in our belief systems to such a degree that there's a a seemingly a deliberate rewriting and reframing of our history that obviously prevents the harvest of the future because we don't understand the heritage of our past. One of my favorite presidents was Ronald Reagan. Most people that know me know that. And he said, if we ever forget that we are one nation under God, then we shall be a nation gone under. He also said, I believe this nation hungers for a spiritual revival. We who are privileged to be Americans have had a rendezvous with destiny since the founding of our nation began in 1630. Now a troubled and afflicted mankind looks to us, pleading for us to keep our rendezvous with destiny. What's he referring to? Where did he even get this understanding or this idea? Unfortunately, many have no idea. They don't understand the sacrifice, the objectives, the vision that was in play in our early days. And certainly, we're lied to by the media, by academia, by entertainment, by government, telling us that as Christians, we really have no voice. We should keep our beliefs and our convictions inside the walls of our church We're told that this is a secular nation and that Christians are a fringe element that are just trying to push their agenda, their outdated beliefs on others. But if you look at our history, nothing could be further from the truth. Christians and the Bible, rather than a fringe element of society, have influenced everything that was done 
in much of our history and in our formative times and ideals and what became, what birthed us as a nation, what we are, what our foundation is. So I'd like to take a little stroll down history lane. I want to start though by reading Isaiah 61 1, and it says, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the afflicted. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to captives and freedom to prisoners. Obviously, that's the mandate upon Jesus who came to bring us freedom and to bring us good news and to help us and to bring liberty. But again, I believe demonstratives of our purpose, we see a similar sentiment on the Statue of Liberty. In a plaque, it says, from her beacon hand glows worldwide welcome, cries she with silent lips, give me your tired, your poor, your huddled masses yearning to breathe free, the wretched refuse of your teeming shores, send these the homeless tempest tossed to me, I lift my lamp beside the golden door. You won't find that inscription on a statue as you enter, enter China or Iraq or even France or Germany or England. It's a prophetic cry and it speaks to the purpose of our nation to represent the heart of God, to be a beacon of the gospel, which is about rescuing lost people and bringing them the truth of God's plan of rescue for their lives. Now, I realize we could have a long discussion on our current immigration situation. There is so much involved that it would take more than one podcast to even delve into the challenges and the failures we're facing in, in that regard. But I'm not going to do that with this podcast. God's word again appears prominent on one of our greatest symbols as a nation. It's on the Liberty Bell in Philadelphia. Philadelphia is considered the birthplace of liberty. That's where the Continental Congress met. That's where the the founders of our nation met to even decide that they wanted to create their own nation and to declare independence from Britain. Inscribed on the Liberty Bell is Leviticus 25.10, Proclaim liberty to all the inhabitants of the land. We're blessed to live in this nation. In spite of its moral decline and many, many troubles, it was still born out of a desire to honor God and his word and to create a place where people escaping persecution, religious and otherwise, were embraced and protected. I bought a book years ago, and it's called God's Signature Over Our Nation's Capital. And it goes through all the different buildings where we see Christian paintings, Christian statues, uh, Christian representation of what we stood for, what our beliefs were, what we were reliant upon, what our foundation was. It's all over Washington, D.C. It's in our documents. It's in our landmarks. There was always evidence of our beliefs and the Bible's influence on our culture. It wasn't a side note. It wasn't a rarity. It was inherent, and it was unmistakable. Our Declaration of Independence begins by saying, All persons are endowed by their Creator with certain unalienable rights. It closes by saying that they were appealing to the Supreme Judge of the world and declaring that, 
that they have a firm reliance on the protection of divine providence. It just goes on and on and on. During our continental, the Continental Convention, Benjamin Franklin said something that I believe conveys the overarching sentiment of our founders. He's speaking to Congress about the fact that they had prayed consistently during the Revolutionary War because they were aware of the dangers they were facing. And he reminds them that their prayers were graciously answered. He asks the question, and have we now forgotten that powerful friend? Or do we imagine that we no longer need his assistance? He says, I have lived, sir, for a long time. And the longer I live, the more convincing proofs I see of this truth, that God governs in the affairs of men. And if a sparrow cannot fall to the ground without his notice, is it probable that an empire can rise without his aid? We have been assured, sir, in the sacred writings that except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. I firmly believe this, and I also believe that without his concurring aid, we will succeed in this political building no better than the builders of Babel. I therefore beg leave to move that henceforth prayers imploring the assistance of heaven and its blessings on our deliberations be held in this assembly every morning before we proceed to business. He understood. He understood that we were dependent on God as a nation, that even that we could ever win the war, the Revolutionary War is miraculous. And God has been with us. You know, I know Christopher Columbus is a questionable individual as far as reputation and that type of thing. And I know he did things that seemingly were not good at all in his relationship with some of the Native Americans. But we still see God's hand in regard to him. He does describe himself as the greatest of sinners. And he wrote a book, it's called The Book of Prophecies. But he also said, at this time I have seen and put into study to look into all the scriptures, which our Lord opened to my understanding. I could sense his hand upon me so that it became clear to me that it was feasible to navigate from here to the Indies. And he gave me the will to execute the idea. The working out of all things was entrusted by our Lord to each person. I found our Lord well disposed toward my heart's desire, and he gave me the spirit of intelligence for the task. Who doubts that this illumination was from the Holy Spirit? He, with marvelous rays of light, consoled me through the holy and sacred scriptures, a strong and clear testimony, encouraging me to proceed, and continually, without ceasing for a moment, they inflame me with a sense of great urgency. Now, I don't know about you, but I never learned anything like that about Christopher Columbus. Uh, the thing I remember most was a little poem that said, in 1492, Columbus sailed the ocean blue. As history continues, we see the pilgrims come to America in order to freely worship God. Now, we all were taught about the pilgrims uh, 50 years ago when I was a student. They were a big part of our history book, but I didn't learn a lot about what they stood for. I learned that they wore unusual clothes, that they suffered hardship, that they moved to America in the 1600s. But in reality, they were devout Christians and they had a desire to serve God and also very much to share their faith with others. Their governor and leader, William Bradford, 
referenced their objectives in his writings. He said, last but not least, they cherished a great hope and an inward zeal of laying a good foundation or at least making some ways toward it for the propagation and advancement of the gospel of the kingdom of Christ in the remote parts of the world, even though they should be stepping stones to others in the performance of so great a work. They understood, they wanted to come to this nation, not only for religious freedom, but to advance the gospel of the kingdom of Christ, the gospel of God's love for people, the gospel of the fact that Jesus died and gave his life, that people could be rescued from Satan, rescued from sin, rescued from themselves, and have a future in heaven. That was their heart's desire to share that message. But yet we're told Christianity is just a fringe element. It doesn't have any place in our society. It doesn't have any place in this nation. I beg to differ. The Mayflower Compact, which is an agreement that they wrote when they first came, states that their purpose in risking their lives, half of them died the first year. They says they, It says, having undertaken for the glory of God and advancement of the Christian faith and honor of king and country, a voyage to plant the first colony in the northern parts of Virginia. Let's continue. Let's look at the origins of some of our original universities. Ezra Stiles was the president of Yale University in 1783, and he was referring to the recent victory in American independence, and he likens America to Joseph. He says it was of the Lord to send Joseph into Egypt to save much people and to show forth his praise. It is of the Lord that into the wilderness of America that Christianity should be advancing forward with the ultimate subservience to the glory of God in converting the world. The United States are under peculiar obligations to become a holy people unto the Lord our God. There's that rendezvous with destiny again. There's the thing that was referenced by Ronald Reagan, that this nation has a mandate to share God's good news. And it's not a heavy-handed or heavy yoke that these people wanted to share. It's life. It's hope. It's forgiveness. It's the ability to have a future and a hope in every way and especially in eternity. The original motto of Harvard University is truth for Christ and the church. And you'll see that original seal in Latin still in various areas of the campus. Now, obviously they have stepped so far from that in what they believe and what they teach. Their original objective was to train a literate clergy. They trained leaders. They trained pastors. My state, Pennsylvania, was founded by William Penn. He wrote a book called No Cross, No Crown from Prison. He was imprisoned at least three times, probably more, for his faith. He said that he would make and establish such laws as shall best preserve true Christian and civil liberty in opposition to all unchristian practices. 
He wrote to the Tsar of Russia saying, If thou wouldest rule well, thou must rule for God. And to do that, thou must be ruled by him. Those who will not be governed by God shall be ruled by tyrants. Now I'm going to end here for this podcast and I'm going to pick it up next time and talk, start off speaking about George Washington. There's a lot of confusion about who he was, what he believes, but I'm going to share uh, a considerable uh, amount of things that he wrote even in his prayer journal that really speak to who he was and to why God's hand was so strongly upon his life. But if you're like me and you love history and you love American history and you want to further understand what God had in mind and how he took us step by step, I mean, obviously, the things I share are a fraction of what could be shared. It would take hours and hours and hours, weeks to go over everything that was said and was done to set aside this nation for God and for his purpose. But I'm going to close here for now and we'll pick it again, pick it up again next week. And thank you so much for listening. Love you all. Thanks for listening to the Flourish podcast. Make sure you subscribe so you don't miss an episode and share it with your friends. For more information about Flourish, our annual conference, or to join our community of women, visit nrpflourish.com. See you next time.